So tonight we come back again for our daily group meditation. We've been talking about the various things that we need to keep in mind and develop and cultivate and deal with in our meditation in order to develop, in order to progress. I think the next stage in our discussion is in regards to the final realization of the truth that we're aiming for in the practice. And the point isn't to expect to reach the goal today or tomorrow or whenever. But if we know what to aim for, and if we know what direction our practice has to take, then we can adjust and we can augment our practice and our confidence in our practice and progress at a steady pace. Otherwise, if we don't quite know where we're headed and we always have this question of, is this it? Is that it? Am I getting there? Am I getting closer? Then we'll be like a person walking lost in the woods. We'll be very hesitant, not knowing which way to go at all times. So it's important to understand what we mean by en by enlightenment, by realization of the truth. Realization of the truth is moja or bodhi. You can say bodhi. Like the Bodhi tree is the place where the Buddha became a Buddha. Buddha and Bodhi, same root. Buj. The root Buj, which means to become awake, to wake up. So we can ask, did the Buddha have a teaching on what is enlightenment and what is the factors of enlightenment? And the answer is yes. The Buddha gave a very powerful teaching on the bojanga, the anga, the uh, factors or constituents or the requisites for enlightenment. And it paints a very clear picture of the direction our practice has to take all the way to the end not just giving us a preliminary practice like the Satipatthana, we talk about the foundations of mindfulness. But when we leave it off there, we don't have a clear picture of where we're going. So at this point, now that we're good at practicing and you've come a long way in developing and, and honing the, your skill in, in the practice of Satipatthana, of, the mind, of mindfulness, we have to look ahead to where we're aiming for. 
the first bojanga, the first factor of enlightenment, is actually mindfulness. And so it's not with it's not for in, for no reason that we were emphasizing. We've been emphasizing the foundations of mindfulness the whole way. This is the foundation. This is the beginning point. This is where we start in our practice. So we, we can understand from this teaching that from the Buddha's point of view, enlightenment starts with mindfulness. And the attainment of, of enlightenment or awakening starts with mindfulness. When we're mindful of the body, mindful of the feelings, mindfulness of the mind, mindfulness of our emotions and mind states and so on, and the senses and aggregates. Just these simple mundane things, this is where enlightenment starts. It really sets the, in the, the field, the framework for our practice. Because if you ask an ordinary untrained person where to start looking for, my, for enlightenment, they'll, they'll, they'll never think to look inside themselves. No? Maybe look inside themselves, but they'll think it must be something special. Not seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, and thinking, these aren't special. They'll talk about the third eye, or the chakras, or the kundalini, or they have all these mystical words in different traditions. God is one, no? Enlightenment is, awakening is coming to realize God, the love of God, or becoming one with God, or so on. If you look at the pattern, it's to find things outside of ordinary mundane experience, which is why no one ever becomes enlightened, because it's right there under their nose and they look everywhere else. It's hidden. We think mundane must be, uh, enlightenment must be super mundane. So we look and we see, no, that's mundane, that can't be it. When in fact the super mundane comes from letting go of the mundane. The only way to let go of the mundane is to understand that it's not worth clinging to, not worth pushing away, not worth pulling, and understanding that everything about us is mundane. All we are is the seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, and thinking. The body, the feelings, the mind, and the Dhamma. That's all we are. That's all that our experience, all that our existence, everything whether it be an experience of God, an experience of heaven, an experience of self, an experience of the third eye or the chakras or so on. It's all just seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, and or thinking. No more, no less. All of it. Any special experience is only this. And so to understand reality, we have to understand these things. To awaken to reality. We can't be looking for something special. Because in the end, it's not special at all. We have to look at everything. Until we see that everything is, in a way, everything is special. Everything that arises is special because it's arisen. Nothing else has arisen, only this has arisen, so this is special. And when we treat it as equal to everything else, give it as much importance as everything else, 
and we don't cling to it or anything else. So mindfulness is the beginning. Now what does mindfulness lead to? Mindfulness leads to something called Dhamma-vichaya, which is translated as investigation of reality or investigation of truth or the uh, knowledge or the studying, the attainment or acquisition of knowledge about reality. This is what mindfulness leads to. This is what you should get about the practice. Put in plain English, learning about yourself, no, learning more about yourself, your experience and the world around you. Learning how your mind works, learning how your body works, learning how they work together. Learning what leads to what. This is the second factor of enlightenment, is this learning that we do. So you should be thinking, every time I sit down, am I learning something new or not? You shouldn't be thinking, when I sit down, is it more happy and more peaceful than last time? Am I more blissful? Am I more calm and so on? You shouldn't be thinking like that. This isn't, what we're, this isn't the right direction. The right direction is, am I learning something every time I sit down? Because every time you sit, you should learn something new about yourself, and it should challenge you. Your old ideas about what is meditation should be challenged. Your old ways of meditating should be challenged. Very easy to get in a rut. Anybody who attains some special meditation experience and continuously attains it, they get in a rut. It means they're stuck at that level. The only, the only way forward for them is not to develop that more and more, but is to challenge themselves, to go deeper in, in, and um, look at their experience and understand their experience. When someone practices samatha meditation, for example, the only way for them to move on is not to develop more and more samatha, but to eventually look at the samatha meditation when you have calm or when you have happiness focus of mind to look at that and learn and ask yourself what is focus what is calm and you come to see that it is impermanent unsatisfying and uncontrollable and then you move on this is number two number three what does it lead to when you learn stuff about yourself? What good is that? How does that lead you closer to awakening? It leads to energy. It leads to effort. What you should, what you should gain from the practice, from seeing the truth, is more energy. You're more alert. Uh, you're more focused. And you're more energetic in your awareness and your clarity of mind, in your practice of mindfulness. So, you're developing mindfulness in the beginning, it's difficult. But what you should see as you progress is that because of the confidence that you gain, and the focus that you gain, so instead of wasting your energy on doubting or thinking about this or that, am I doing the right thing? Am I practicing correctly? 
once you realize the truth and, and more and more understand that's useless, this is useless, stop that, that's not benefiting me. And you focus your energies and you say, this is useful. Then you gain confidence and focus and as a result your mind becomes charged and you have this great energy and you're mindful continuously. You're able to be mindful in succession because of your effort. And because of the focus, your effort becomes focused. You're, instead of having to push and push and push with no benefit, you start to refine your effort as well. So the Vidya Bojanga, the enlightenment factor, factor of effort, isn't just pushing and pushing and pushing. What it means is you are strong in mind. You're able to fight the defilements. When bad things come up, you're able to push them away. You're able to step like dancing to avoid the defilements. So when a defilement might arise, you're able to see it clearly, seeing or hearing, and the defilement doesn't even arise. You're, you know what, what is a benefit, and you know how to create wholesome thoughts and wholesome mind states, and so you are quicker to create them. or you, you they, they come with more power and when they come you're able to uh, to keep them effort, the effort in, in, in meditation practice that we're looking for is not pushing, pushing, pushing it's keeping away bad states of mind This this it's kind of like a kung fu you could think of it as not just pushing, pushing, pushing but having, being able to dance so that the bad things disappear and don't come and the good things appear and stay. You have a more powerful uh, ability. Your, your uh, technique, your ability to um, arrange your mind in the right way. You have this ability inside. This is the effort well, to fight against you know, bad things come up. You get skillful. Another way to think of it is you have the skills in the Kung Fu. So when a bad thing comes up, you know not to get angry about it. You know how to deal with it. Okay, angry, angry. And you're really good at this mindfulness. This is the effort that comes or the energy or the strength, you might say. So in the beginning, your mindfulness is quite weak. You say, pain, pain, and it doesn't go away. Eventually, you get so good that you know exactly, you, you dance with it, and you surf on the pain. It's like surfing on the wave. You know, when you go as a kid to play in the ocean, the waves drag you under. But when you become a surfer, you know how to ride the wave. You get like that. This is what we mean by effort, not, not just pushing, but you get good at, at being mindful. Once you get good at being mindful and you have this strength of mind, it gets you in a rut as well. But this is a good rut, it's called piti, or rapture. 
When you imagine getting so good and developing it so much that it becomes a habit. Think because we have all these bad habits, no? Bad habits of getting angry, bad habits of being greedy, bad habits of saying this or saying that, or wanting this or wanting that, or doing this or doing that. Wasn't it wonderful to think that you could have a habit of being mindful, a habit of seeing things clearly, so that when you're faced with any problem, you, you get into the habit of just being mindful of it. This is what it means by rapture, because your mind gets this tendency, starts to develop it until it becomes kind of like a rapture. Rapture meaning that your mind is stuck and fixed in it. And it starts to become second nature, this mindfulness. So that you can do it all the time. And then when you're eating, you're mindful. When you're bathing, you're mindful. When you're going to toilet, you're mindful. When you're just walking around the monastery, you're mindful. When you're waking up, you're mindful. When you're falling asleep, you're mindful. It just starts to become second nature. This is rapture. And you get stuck in a rut. And because you get stuck in this rut of being mindful, and because your mind is more and more and more mind, more and more and more clear, your mind starts to calm down. And then there's this calm that kind of lasts. You know, it's necessary that you, if you really do feel calm, it's necessary to focus on the calm. But it starts to become kind of natural quiet. This is called basati. Your mind becomes tranquil, whereas before you might have been thinking a lot. Once you really get into the practice, There's not much to think about. There's only like a soldier, you know, left, right, left, right, doing, performing the drills, doing your duty, following the schedule. The mind becomes very well trained. This is the point, like a soldier. The mind becomes very well trained. Whereas before it was very untrained and doing this and that and running here and running there. Now it becomes quite trained, so it gets quiet. Also, in the beginning, it was fighting against it. And as you practice again, and the old habits are replaced by the new habit of mindfulness, it quiets down. All of the, the rebellion quiets down. The mind begins to order itself. So saying, no, this, then this, and running everywhere. Now it's ordered and orderly. And your mind is uh, on track. Basadi then samadhi. Then the mind becomes balanced or focused. Samadhi, we always translate as concentrated, but I think that really misses the point. It's samadhi, samma means same or, or um, level. And this is where your mind becomes very, very clear. 
and in tune. You can think of like a musical instrument that's now in perfectly in tune. You ever played played a guitar, for example? You can tell when it's in tune and out of tune. And as you develop and develop and quiet, your mind starts to become in tune. So every time you're mindful, it's like ringing a bell. Ding. Catching it. Perfectly catching the, the with just enough effort, just enough concentration. This is a focused mind. The mind is able to catch when you say seeing. Really are aware of the seeing, hearing. Really, this takes time. Something you have to understand. You don't come here mindful. No? We don't give you the technique, you say, I get it, and ping, you do it, and you're enlightened. You say, I get it, and oh no, but I can't do it. And you work, and you work, and you practice, and you practice. And then you start to think, what am I doing this for? And you don't realize, like, like the movie The Karate Kid. You never saw the original Karate Kid, this movie. He has him paint a fence. Why am I painting the fence? He has him wax the cars. Why am I waxing the cars? He comes back and he gets angry and he says, Look, I'm, I, I'm happy to help you out by painting your fence and waxing your cars, but when am I going to learn karate? And he says, Show me how to wax, or show me how to paint the fence. And he goes up and down. And then he punches him and he blocks it with his fence painting motion. And then he, how do you wash wax cars? And he shows him how to wax it and he punches him and he blocks it with his wax, car waxing motion. Very, very good good analogy for what we're doing. And what are we doing? Seeing, seeing, pain, pain. What's it for? We're getting better, better at it. What's it for? It's for blocking the defilement or stopping our, our projections, our judgments. And only when you get really, really good at it do you see the point, do you understand, do you realize what you've been doing all this time. You've been training yourself. Not to, you're training yourself to stop hating yourself, to stop... Uh, Addic becoming addicted to things, to stop your judgments, your partiality, training yourself to just see things as they are. It sounds so simple. I have the easy job to teach you how to do it. It's very easy to teach, really. You just have to say the right things. In practice, you have to actually do them. That's the hard part. And what finally does the focus lead to? What, is it, what good is it to be focused? What good is it to be, have this clarity of mind? The final bojanga, the final factor of enlightenment is equanimity. And there's a lot of talk about equanimity in Buddhism. We have to understand equanimity. It's not the dumb equanimity of like a cow or something, or a goat. Even though they can be very angry at times, but... 
you look at animals and they seem very equanimous because they have so much delusion that they can't really think clearly. They aren't able to stay angry or greedy for a long time because they have too much delusion. So they just feel dumb. And we can feel dumb when we're using the computer, for example. You just feel dumb. Equanimous. No? But this isn't what is meant by equanimity. Equanimity is like your, your intellectual... Uh, perception of things because we always have such a bad we give such a bad rap to intellectualizing no? Buddhism we say no don't intellectualize why because that's where all of our judgments come from that's where all of our views come from when you practice on the lower level of, of experience all of that gets filtered out until your intellectual activity is totally neutral You become kind of dumb in a sense. No? All of that chat, intellectual chatter, I don't agree with this, that's no good. It all levels out. You say, this is good, that's good, this is bad, that's bad. You say, oh, this is seeing. And intellectually you actually do that. In the beginning you have to just shut up, shut up, shut up, put it, put it aside. Stop it. When you get to Upeka, which were this Upeka Bojanga, you don't have to do that anymore. It's kind of amazing, actually. Your mind is suddenly just seeing. But that's, that's, oh, it's seeing. But this, oh, it's hearing. And there's nothing else in the mind. When you get to this point, that your, your mind is just not even training anymore. It's knowing. That's the moment, that's the, the, the time when you're on the edge of enlightenment, when you're ready to enter into Nibbana, when the mind will slide off. It's kind of like uh, our mind, the ordinary mind is like Velcro. Or, uh, no, like um, if you have tooth substances with glue no? or with sticky something sticky in between them like if you put uh, jam if your hands are covered in jam it gets sticky and it seems like that's the nature of them to be to stick together and you think uh oh my hands are all sticky and they're stuck together but when you pour water over them they just slide off Try to think of some sticky things, give a bad example. Then you have this glue, no? When you pour water on it, the glue just uh, dissolves in the water. This is kind of what this is kind of how enlightenment occurs, how the one goes into nibbana. It's not like suddenly broken or something like that. It's like or you suddenly pull away from samsara. You slide off of it. Slowly, slowly the water dissolves the glue. And shoom! The mind slides off. Because that's what's happening, right? Your, your clinging is becoming less and less until you're just seeing things as they are. Just experiencing things as they are. 
and less and less clinging, less and less clinging until the mind flies and enters into Nibbana. This is the experience. I can't, can't explain too much about Nibbana, only one thing my teacher always said, always keep in mind when you're wondering about Nibbana, this is not that. If you have a question about Nibbana, is this Nibbana or so on, or is this, what is this? Because you're thinking, is this the special thing that I'm looking for? Always make your answer be, this is not that, because it's not. That's all I can say about Nibbana. If you keep that in mind, you'll be okay. This is not that. Then you always remind yourself and you won't get, because otherwise you'll get, you'll get stuck on something that is not that. When you realize Nibbana, it's, I guess you could say, ineffable. There's, there's no seeing, no hearing, no smelling, no tasting, no feeling, and no thinking. There's not even any any mind, the mind has become extinguished. There is a mind, but it's just technically. Really the mind has become free. Because if you think the mind always has to take an object, right? If, if you think of a mind without an object, you don't really have a mind. You know? But that's this. This is a mind which has um, has, has, has no object, in a sense. They say it has Nibbana as an object, but what does that mean? What does it mean to say it has the unbinding as an object? So, whatever object your mind takes and you think, is this it? Tell yourself, what is this? What is this? This is not that. But here we have a we have a path, and I think it's quite clear where it's leading, and it's quite reasonable to and to assume that this path is at least worth checking out. And if we, so, we develop mindfulness. We see: does it lead to dhammavicaya? Does it lead to viriya, viriya, viti, pasati, samadhi, upeka? Do they lead in this order? And if they do, and when we see that they do, then no need to doubt anymore. So anyway, this is a kind of another hint or another glimpse or another guide on which to base our practice. Now we get to do the, the real work, get on with our practice. Now we can start mindful prostration, walking and sitting. <laughs>